gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman, Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The New 52 Adventures of Superman, Superman Forever Radio, I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Kara's World Podcast. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman Forever Radio, the weekly podcast devoted to the Man of Steel. Welcome once again to Superman Forever Radio, episode 58. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder, and we are continuing Superman Forever Goes to the Movies, or Superman Forever Pops in a DVD month here and this time we are going to pick up from where we kind of left off last time with superman batman public enemies with its almost direct sequel superman batman apocalypse Uh, a couple notes i did get to go back and reread these issues uh kind of the order of the dc universe animated movies which i kind of didn't touch on well not kind of i didn't touch on them last episode um with these direct to dvd original movies which have been very successful so far with varying degrees um it was kicked off with Superman Doomsday, which was released in September of 2007, which adapted loosely adapted the Death of Superman storyline. As far as why I didn't start there, since it is a Superman movie, and I apparently am going in chronological release order, I just feel that anything Death of Superman related has been definitively and completely covered on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, um, presented by the Superman homepage by Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor. I just feel like Anybody doing Superman podcasts now, they don't have a horse in that race any longer because you don't get much more in-depth or complete than their coverage. But they did their own commentary on this. I just don't feel like that I had anything more to add than what they said. Uh, And that reminds me, something I've been completely forgetting to mention for several, several weeks is good Michael Bailey, my good friend, uh, my co-host on Pad Smash, did invite me onto his, his excellent podcast, Views from the Long Box. And here we got to talk about one of my favorite books of all time. Easily, hands down, one of my favorite Superman pieces of literature. uh, The greatest Superman stories ever told. 
And I was just incredibly, incredibly flattered that he thought of me, thought of, and we got to talk about that material since it is, it's something that really is close to my heart. So uh, I want to thank him. And you can find that over at his website, fortressofbailytude.com. Um, it's a lengthy, lengthier episode, but I completely forgot to mention it several, several times. So I do sincerely apologize to Michael, and I just want to thank him again for having me on there. But this time around, to kind of continue, um, following Superman Doomsday in September of 2007, there was Justice League New Frontier. Um, now, this once again had a different voice for Superman. With Superman Doomsday, we had Adam Baldwin, who I knew more from Firefly and Serenity. In Justice League New Frontier, it wasn't Superman front and center, but Kyle MacLachlan of Twin Peaks played a you know 50s-style Superman. And then released next was Batman Gotham Knight, which I mentioned I don't like. It's a bunch of little shorts, little anthology, little too anime for my taste. And it's supposed to tie in with... Uh, Dark Knight, which was coming out then. But that came out on July 8, 2008. And then we had the excellent Wonder Woman, which didn't have Superman in it, but it was excellent. Um, Carrie Russell played Wonder Woman. Nathan Fillion, who played Steve Trevor, who would go on to be Green Lantern. Uh, that was released in March of 2009. Then we, speaking of Green Lantern, we had First Flight, which had Christopher Maloney as Hal Jordan in this round, which was okay. It was a little too packed full, but... I'll say I liked it a lot better than the Green Lantern live-action movie, but that was released in July of 2009, which led us to Superman Batman Public Enemies, which I mentioned last time, last week, is what we covered, which was September of 2009, and then Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, in which we had yet another Superman, which was Mark Harmon, which it was hard to kind of adjust back after having the familiar Tim Daly, but Mark Harmon, outside of Tim Daly, ended up being a really standout Superman, one of my favorites. Reason being that we were kind of dealing with a more seasoned Superman and Gibbs there gave us a, just this kind of a gravel voice, not Kevin Conroy gravel, but just a little bit of an aged voice. I thought he was excellent, but that was released in February of 2010. And then there was Batman under the red hood, which was exquisite. And we had Bruce Greenwood finally giving Kevin Conroy as close as you can get for a run to a run for his money. So good good Dark Knight movie, if you do enjoy that. Um, and then that brings us to Superman Batman Apocalypse, which was, while it wasn't a direct sequel, technically it was intended to be a follow-up, since Superman Batman Public Enemies had basically broken the bank. Right now it still stands as the third highest grossing of these DVD projects. Number one still is Superman Doomsday. So it made sense, you know, the Superman-Batman team-up seems to work that time. Let's see what the next storyline was. Now, where Public Enemies covered issues 1 through 6 of Superman-Batman, there was a stop-off in issue 7, which was still written by Jeff Lowe, but Pat Lee did the art. That was more of a Connor Kent, Tim Drake story. And then issue 7 through 13 picked up the next, next leg of the story. And that's actually what is going to be covered within this DVD. And luckily I had a chance to reread these issues and I was kind of shocked that there were really only three spots and IMDb backed me up. There are three spots where the story really diverges, but we're going to talk more about that. As I mentioned, um, I'm going to be starting at zero, 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 zero on the movie proper. 
I am not going to be running a track underneath this where you can hear the music so that'll sync up a little bit better, um, or at least appear to, since I do tend to meander on these commentaries and get off on all kinds of different topics within mostly staying on on course, but sometimes, you know, we go some places we're not expecting. Um, but quick remind, one more reminder that's for, um, fortress of Bailey com slash views from the long box. If you want to find episode one fifty one of views from the long box, which is where I appeared. And, uh, I highly recommend it. I had a great time. Once again, thank you, Michael Bailey. So I am going to go to a quick promo. And then when we come back, you'll want to have your DVDs queued up. I'll do a countdown from five to one. And then on go, we'll, we'll start watching Superman, Batman, Apocalypse. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. It was for this moment that we were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might Beware my power Green Green Lantern's Lantern's Light Light. Green Lantern's Light A monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, Jon Stewart, Guy Gardner and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today Say the oath Join the Corps Green Lantern's Light Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com And that was a promo for Green Lantern's Light starring Michael Bradley, Jeffrey Taylor, and some other dude, which you can find at GreenLanternsLight.com. It's a monthly podcast, which I highly recommend. I'm glad to be a part of it. Love doing that show. But we are here to talk about a movie. And this one is actually a little bit longer than Public Enemies was. This one's actually runtime of 76 minutes, rated PG-13 for violence and brief sensuality. Well, you got my attention right there. But as usual, I'm going to count down from five. So once we get to five, four, three, two, one on go, we hit the play button and we will begin this shindig. So with no further ado, five, four, three, two, one go here we go black screen fades to warner brothers premiere logo as i mentioned last time this is a portion of warner brothers that is shutting down 
I know we have two more movies on the docket, Superman Unbound and then Justice League Flashpoint. At this point, I've collected all of these, so even though I have no real interest in Flashpoint, I will probably end up purchasing it just to complete the collection. Although I still got to get my Dark Knight Returns situated. Um, with the storyline, it actually took up issues 7 through 13 of Superman Batman. And Michael Turner came on instead of Ed McGinnis to do the art, which ratcheted this this title up to 11. And I don't know why, but I hadn't been following Superman Batman. I think I'd been kind of sitting comics out a little bit. But with this storyline, I remember I was getting it sequentially as it was coming out. It was in my pull list. I think I was switching comic shops. Now this scene is actually pretty excellent. We did in the comic, we just get a a skyline shot. But man, this animation is excellent. Now they're trying to adapt Michael Turner's art style. And Michael Turner, by all accounts, for one thing, Michael Turner is one of the sweetest guys in comics. And I know he had a really good relationship with Jeff Loeb's son, Sam. And sadly, you know, both Sam and Michael Turner are no longer with us because cancer sucks. And I don't say that flippantly at all. But Michael Turner's art style is very stylized. It looks great on the page. He has some great storytelling abilities. And he actually manages to do great storytelling with pinups, which is somebody the, something Jim Lee hasn't quite perfected. But the, the honest truth was, you know, it's not going to look like Michael Turner art. Because Michael Turner's art would be really, really hard to completely, faithfully adapt. But they do a really good job with the design work. Where Ed McGinnis kind of naturally lent himself to the animated style, Michael Turner certainly didn't. But Michael Turner also, his art doesn't adapt all that great into action figures. And there was a line of action figures based solely on the Superman-Batman comic line. The first series did cover Public Enemies... And then third series, and I believe fourth series, they kind of played with that too. But the second series was pure Michael Turner. And the Superman from that, it doesn't quite look like Michael Turner. Because Michael Turner's figures aren't bulky. They're very streamlined. It just, it doesn't quite work as well as you would like. Um, kind of the same, they did a Justice League, an Identity Crisis. an Identity Crisis where they based it on Michael Turner's designs off of the covers. Michael Turner was a fantastic artist. It looked great on the page, but only Michael Turner can could really pull that off. But as far as what we're seeing here, this is fairly well from the comic. Batman shows up. He's in his diving outfit, which looks excellent in the animation. I think I like I like this look for Batman in the in the cartoon a little bit more than I did the Ed McGinnis version in Public Enemies. Mainly because for me, I think Batman should be that sort of streamlined, very lithe type figure, almost like Spider-Man. Because if you're going to picture somebody jumping from rooftop to rooftop, that's kind of what you want. And it's weird because normally I do like when an artist will play with Batman's cape, yet looking at it without the cape, the figure really works. It pops off the screen. And of course we have Kevin Conroy returning as Batman. You know, as Kevin Smith said on Fat Man and Batman, Batman for the ages. Kevin Conroy is the ultimate portrayer of Batman, bar none. Greenwood, Bruce Greenwood, who does a voice in Under the Red Hood, gives it in on Young Justice, R.I.P. Um, Bruce Greenwood really almost gives him 
a run for his money. But at the same time, Bruce Greenwood does that because he sounds quite a bit like Kevin Conroy. And yet we haven't heard a single voice yet. Um, but yeah, this was once again bringing the band back together because we had Conroy and Daly returning. And they really were trying to piggyback off of the massive success of Public Enemies. But it it didn't feel like quite the event that Public Enemies was. Because with Public Enemies, it was well promoted. It felt nearly like a theatrical release. With this, there was a lot of promotion, yes. But you didn't have Mattel making action figures that you can find in the Target aisle. You had to look for these in your local comic shop. But they did try to sync these up. You know, as at the beginning, you heard uh, them talking about the meteor from the end of Public Enemies. You heard them talk about Luthor being impeached. So, I mean, we are trying to... Where Most of the DC animated movies have been disjointed. Because they are based on, you know, more pure versions of the character in some cases. Like Wonder Woman, which was excellent, but didn't make enough money to really warrant further sequels or, well, more female-driven um, movies, which brings me to the title since it just popped up on the screen, Apocalypse. This original storyline was the Supergirl from Krypton. I mean, this really was an origin, a reintroduction of Supergirl. In a weird way, because this was supposed to be in continuity. This was pre-Infinite Crisis. This would have been coming out I believe, alongside or not too far off from Identity Crisis. So Infinite Crisis was still a couple of years away, or a year and a half or so. So there wasn't a big reboot to the continuity, and yet we'd had a Matrix Supergirl who had gone on to her own series, kind of helmed, well, not kind of, it was helmed by Peter David, and then she kind of changed into a slightly more traditional Supergirl, yet completely untraditional at the same time. And suddenly when that series ended... We come into this storyline, and the best way to do it, uh, let's just pretend like none of that ever happened and not mention the Matrix Supergirl again. We're just going to reintroduce Supergirl as if it's for the first time. Which confused the heck out of me, because the first major storyline, the Public Enemy storyline, was very much in continuity. And affected continuity, not just in the Superman-Batman realm, but in other other areas too, because of DC, with DC's shared universe... Lex Luthor was president not only in the Superman book, but he might be president in Green Lantern. He might be president in Wonder Woman, too. So to remove him was a pretty big deal. Once again, not a big fan of the opening credits. Go on a little bit too long. But in just a moment, we're going to hear Summer Glau step up to the plate. Once again, another Firefly Serenity alum. She played River. If you're not familiar with Firefly or Serenity, shame on you. Go to find it right now. And this scene is right out of the book. It's not beat for beat, per se. I wonder if this is the sensuality, since she is nude, but done really well. One other uh, cast member who won't be appearing till later in the movie is Susan Eisenberg, returning as Wonder Woman. She uh, she did Wonder Woman's voice on Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, so we really are <laughs> putting together a great cast based on proven success. These were voice actors who did phenomenal jobs on the shows that they were working on. We also have Ed Asner returning as Granny Goodness. How can you be mad at that? <laughs> Hi, I'm Batman. You and see, the adaptation for Batman works really well. It's 
I just love the way it looked here. I love the physics that they do in this show. They did a great job in Superman, the animated series, and Batman, the animated series, of, of portraying action so it was hard-hitting and you did feel the punches. Yet, when you get that PG-13 rating, it just goes up a notch. The lighting effects on this are great. Really, the colors pop. And this this movie was one of the ones I was most excited about doing a commentary for, just because I liked the look of it. I really did enjoy the way it was directed. And the director of this bad boy was Lauren Montgomery. I'm trying to remember, she actually directed something else that I liked. Ah, the Green Lantern First Flight movie and Justice League Doom and the Wonder Woman movie. She's basically got a good pedigree coming into this. She's The production on these was good because they did get people who had experiences with the characters and how to portray superheroes in animated form. And how to get the voice casting right. And what are the nuances we pull out? What are the continuity bits that we put in? And if there's a continuity issue, how do we solve that? Yeah, this is uh, pretty mind-blowing. Luckily, with with this animated movie, they didn't have the problem problematic idea of the, the Matrix Supergirl. They can just play it like this is the first time they've seen a female Kryptonian. A female Kryptonian that just kicked Batman across the roof, too. Shouldn't she be able to run with super speed? And I think the, the Bat emblem looks fantastic. I thought Michael Turner, when he did it, it looked really good. I think there's a... With Batman's costume, you can do a lot. You can change aspects of it. I look at how many different Bat symbols you have. You have the... Standard oval and oh, Superman just showed up. Superman, um, he didn't translate as well to the animated form with this style as Batman did. Batman really, really, really benefited from it and looked great. Superman did not look bad. I'm not saying, wow, look at that, that's crap. He just, it didn't, it didn't elevate it in the way that you would think, wait, what just happened to the, the dirigibles crew? Oh, they're automated. That's right. Sorry. Not thinking. They did just say that, didn't they? Kryptonian here is actually... It's What she is speaking is... I believe it's Esperante. Let me double check that. Esperante... Here we go. I'm going to pretend it's Esperante rather than Esperanto, which is very similar to German. Would it be great if somebody out there who spot who is speaking fluent in Esperanto is like, I know what she just said. But uh, as I said, this marked my first Blu-ray DVD, and I got the combo pack. Uh, it was before I actually had a Blu-ray player, but my thought process was eventually everything's going to the way technology works is you get shoved into upgrading at some point. Like if you had an Xbox, eventually just by removing stuff from the market, you're kind of forced to go into Xbox 360. But my idea was eventually the way tapes were overcome by, by uh, CDs, the way CDs became digital, I was going to be put into a position to upgrade. So I started buying these as the Blu-ray combo pack. So I could enjoy the DVD, but when I eventually did get a Blu-ray player, I could benefit from it. Now here, at this point, 
we're coming almost to the end of where issue number seven ended. Oh, that's not good. You broke Batman's toys. I want a $50,000 computer. I do love the line on a reporter's salary because reporters aren't multimillionaires, that's for sure. There are some people who are able to parlay that into book writing, um, things like that, but for the most part, not, not breaking the bank. It says, Treasure, I know my Kryptonian Batman. Back off. This came from the comic as well. The idea that Supergirl can metabolize a little bit quicker. She might be a little bit more powerful. A little too what, Batman? And here comes a, a scene that makes me very happy. Made me happy in the book, too. And crypto. Ooh. I'm not a fan of angry crypto. But it does lead to a great line in about two seconds. This scene reeks a little bit too much of my two dads. <laughs> but Batman gets a great line. Yes, I always considered him a good judge of character, which is a great trait for crypto. So we're redoing the origin of Supergirl again. And to give you kind of the Silver Age background on Supergirl, when she came to Earth, Superman actually dropped her off at an orphanage to live. And she couldn't reveal herself to the world, so she had to live at this orphanage. So, settle down, Crypto. But she <laughs> kind of was kind of ignored until Superman needed her. So, this is a probably a slightly friendlier version. And we have the interplanetary zoo. I'm going to pretend like there's a Thanagarian snare beast in there. We have lizards. Aw, oh, baby lizards. And even in the... The odd thing is, even in the... The original storyline in the comic book, you didn't delve too much into Kara's pre-Splashdown. Kara also benefits from the animated treatment. Now, this conversation is... It's not... It's, uh, this happened, okay. You have your Jor-El and Lara statues. And yet here we dive back into Krypton. So... 
Yep, we'll be right behind you, Kara. But not really. Psych! I... I prefer when Supergirl and Superman's origins do have a bit of deviation. Because, yeah, you're kind of dealing with two people coming from the same source. But, for example, in this version, the big deviation is Kara left... Well, in the comic, Kara left before... Kal-El. She was older. So she was in space longer. She left right before or just almost simultaneously. But he came to Earth and got to grow up. She was in suspended animation. So she was supposed to come to Earth to care for him. And ends up... He's grown up. He's a full-grown man in his 30s. And she's still a teenager. Oh, zing. You have no heart. It's not like she threw Jason Todd at him. Oh, too soon. And Apocalypse. Looks alright. I kind of expect more menace from my Apocalypse. Like, when you're looking at Apocalypse, I expect you to be looking at hell and feel a little bit uncomfortable. And violence. We have somebody stabbed. Ed Asner! One thing I'm looking forward to is this This movie re- did some great, great things with action sequences, especially when you have the Female Furies versus Big Barda. This is also a really good one. It doesn't add much to the story itself, but by gosh, it looks good. And it rocks. And the blows that they that they throw, they don't Look how fast this moves. The blows, they have great impact. The speed of the animation, the speed of the action sequence is mind-blowing. And when we get to a point later on, there's a move that Wonder Woman does that just... I had to... When I watched this the first time, I had to go back and rewatch it because I had to ask myself, did I just see that? Now, I don't know how much this conveys what Apocalypse is to the casual viewer because you know as i mentioned with public enemies they're kind of marketing right on the fence they are trying to make these for fans of the comics of the characters who followed it month in month out but you know there's always going to be that lapsed fan out there who may have left it you know when he turned electric i know somebody who did and has kind of maintained that passing interest in the characters who decides to check it out and there may be those that never read a superman comic or read very few and may not have an intricate detail of these, you know, the vast DC universe. So the fourth world is complex. And there is Andre Bauer. Andre Bauer does a very good job, to be honest. He's a good dark side, but he just doesn't pull it off the way Michael Ironside did, um, to be honest with you. Michael Ironside could say lines like, I am many things, but here I am God. And... It manages to not be cheesy. In fact, it manages to be downright scary and hits you in the face, which a line like that should, especially in the scene where it occurred. Okay, here's here's the hellish look. 
And we cool that off with water. That's an excellent transition. And Harbinger. It's funny that they streamlined a lot of a lot of the continuity heavy details out of public enemies and yet we can we get Harbinger who is a continuity nightmare because she was a character that was very much enrooted in Crisis on Infinite Earths which is one of the biggest continuity densest continuity at least I should say material that you can find since it not only brought a lot of all of the factors of the multiverse in, but then streamline them. And we actually get Clark Kent. He didn't technically appear in, well, he didn't appear at all in public enemies. We did see Bruce without his mask for a moment. That may be something they skip over a little too much. I don't, you don't see much Clark Kent in these. Now here, Superman really looks great. As Clark Kent, the design just pops. It works. Well, I would buy you some clothes, but I just have, I have to pay for a $50,000 piece of equipment. One of the stores is called Old Blue. It'd be great if it was called Big Blue. Now this scene wasn't in the comic, but it does add quite a bit. I think what they added here was glorious. The the guys checking Kara out and Clark giving him the look. Excellent. And the price tags. Kara trying on high heels. <laughs> this is masterfully played and, and something that the animation just takes to another level because you have Clark sitting there demurely while she's getting a pedic- uh, manicure. Very humorous and kind of turns Superman into a father figure more than a cousin. But it works. It's funny. And here we go. Ta-da! No. Absolutely not. <laughs> and Clark is carrying her bags like a gentleman Summer Glau really does this character justice I'm looking forward to Superman Unbound to see what they do with Supergirl there oh but the title Superman Batman Apocalypse as I got way off track as I meander on these things Oh, I want a hot dog. But, as I mentioned, the the original title of the storyline was Superman... It was in Superman, Batman. It was uh, Supergirl from Krypton. But after the Wonder Woman movie really failed to do what they expected, they decided to scrap a Batgirl solo movie. And they decided that, well, okay, apparently the market that, that devours these just doesn't buy it if it's a female character. Which is really sad, because that Wonder Woman movie was great. So, this really is kind of a sad retitling to play down that this is really Supergirl's origin story. Now, Superman and Batman are fostering her into the new world, but she is the center of the story. Without Supergirl, there's nothing. Nothing. 
So, uh, I mean, if it, if it sells, it sells. That's fine. But I don't know that that's very sensitive or very forward thinking. Yeah. The former memorial. It's got to be pretty overpowering to come to Earth and see that this sort of demigod Superman exists where her cousin, who in the comic it makes a point of saying he was a baby. And it's something that they carried through on the New 52 as well. But you see the statues built to him and the reaction of the people and you've got to live up to that. And I always... I'm always kind of amazed, especially when I sit down to do these commentaries, how fast these movies really do move. Because we're moving from issue to issue to issue to issue. But the issues themselves were, weren't densely packed. This is, one of the, this is one of the scenes where it does omit something. And it's coming up here. It omits one fight scene, which is funny since this is more action-oriented. And once again, the tornado effect seems to work. Ah, here it is. And really, see, when you think about this, and as we go into this, Wonder Woman is as much a part of this story as Superman and Batman. Now, granted, I'll give you Wonder Woman because, well, it appeared in the Superman-Batman book, but Wonder Woman's a third factor. You're really looking at a Trinity-style story. What was omitted here was that Batman actually had a hand-to-hand fight with Artemis. And Artemis is actually not even in this scene. And I don't think the movie is... It doesn't suffer from that. Because that, even though the Fury scene was cool, it also set up that we're going to fight these guys later and they're pretty B.A. This is actually pretty heartbreaking, and Summer Glau nails it. I'll work. Please. Please. Oh, she kills me. And they pull away at the right moment. It felt right. Because the thing is, it, it would be easy to do these as quick and dirty, you know, superficial adaptations. But in a lot of cases, the animation adds to the story. The animated adaptation, I should say. Because you do have moments like that where, you know, you have that decision where Superman realizes maybe it is best that Kara go live on Themyscira. And we're pulling away with him and the weight of that on his shoulders. So we actually get that quiet moment where we can let that sink in. And of course, with comics, it does kind of play into that theater of the mind where you're connecting the tissue between panel to panel to panel to panel. So that might have been the way it played out in your head. So, I mean, the catch-22 is, yeah, these are great moments, but is that how it would play out in my head? I don't know. So it does kind of take some of that away, but different medium. And I think if you try to approach adaptations, whether it's live action or animated, if you try to approach those as this needs to be as faithful as possible, it's impossible to really make it that faithful because with reading a comic... You are in control of the pacing, 
of the inflection in voice. It's all in that theater of the mind. So you're automatically going to surrender that control as soon as something goes to an, another medium. Just try to take it as it is. It may not be the way I picture it in the head, but it works. Now, Wonder Woman came off really successfully in the in the animation design. And really, the way they play Wonder Woman, it could tie into the Carrie Russell Wonder Woman movie. She's just a little bit older and more experienced. And we have another action sequence. I don't. I wish I had looked this up between recordings on exactly what the equation is on an action story. How many minutes you have to go before doing another action sequence? Because it's. I believe it's about ten minutes, ten fifteen minutes. So every 10-15 minutes, if it's an action genre, throw another action sequence in there. And I don't know how that gets condensed in the shorter runtime of these movies. Which, you know, you have 67 minutes for Public Enemies, 76 minutes for this movie. And they're cut so that if they were to broadcast on, say, Cartoon Network, putting in commercials, you could actually have a full two-hour event. It's neat to see Supergirl go from, oh, protect me, protect me, to, I got this. Susan Eisenberg does an excellent Wonder Woman. She sounds really regal. I like Susan Eisenberg a lot. The weird thing is, having seen Tim Daly in the Superman animated series style, he wasn't in Justice League, but to jump from that to Public Enemies to this should feel unnatural. But Tim Daly is one of my favorite, favorite iterations of Superman. And I don't think he's as as quintessential to Superman as Kevin Conroy is to Batman, because I, I don't know why. It just, George Newbern did a comparable job on Justice League. Mark Harmon added something to Superman. Kyle MacLachlan was a great choice in New Frontier. But... They all added something a little bit different. Where Kevin, uh, where uh, Tim Daly built that that sort of foundation to build on that. I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to say that Bruce looks for the bad in everyone. Bruce is ultimately a disappointed optimist in his own way. He really wants there to be good in everyone. But he knows that if he naively puts that guard down, then that's the chance that the one bad person is going to get him. But I don't think he's looking for the bad in everyone. He's protecting himself from the somewhat sadly inevitable, you know, <laughs> betrayal of other people. Harbinger. And I'm going to explain this. A very streamlined a very streamlined version of my origin. I'm not going to include the monitor, anti-monitor or the folding of the multiverse. I didn't realize this had a budget of $3.5 million. I wish I knew how much it actually got in return. I know that this was definitely profitable.
Uh oh. We know how this ends, don't we? Do we? Once again, I'm assuming that if you have this movie in your collection, you've watched it. So I'm I'm not going to be extremely careful about my spoilers. But the three of these, because Kevin, Con- the three actors here are great. Uh, Conroy and Eisenberg have had worked together on Justice League. Daily is kind of the new addition, but they really feel when they're talking to each other that they are comrades. Um, they respect each other in their own way. And now Doomsday. That was something that bothered me in the story. And it bothered me when they played it afterwards, actually, because you saw this multiple Doomsday thing start occurring. At least I started encountering it in our worlds at war. And I think it just cheapens what Doomsday meant to the Superman mythology. This is the creature that killed Superman. Now, granted, we had... We had, uh, I just suddenly thought of a poster. I'll come back to that. But we had Doomsday and Superman rematching a couple of times in Hunter Prey. But, okay, here's where the animation kind of loses a little bit of its luster. There was an aerial shot of all the Doomsdays where you just get this arbitrary movement. The poster I was thinking of was, it was a cover to one of these issues, and I wish I could look it up now, but a little bit trickier. But it had Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, you know, armored up and fighting the Doomsday Army, and I, I'm trying to figure out what I did with that poster. Odd. Odd the things that you remember. Looking at the user reviews, um, there were actually not that many from what I see here on IMDb. A lot of the critique was there's one person who was seriously disappointed because the storyline was simple. Not too much action? And a poor choice on the voice of Dark Side. I don't. Okay, I'll give them that I prefer Michael Ironside, but I don't think Andre Brower was a poor choice. I mean, if you get somebody like, <laughs> say, you got like Steve Buscemi as Dark Side, something's up, something's wrong. But the action sequences in this have been plentiful, I think, and as I mentioned, the impacts of the blows have been fantastic and you have you know Batman wielding an axe against Doomsday which shouldn't work but you know Batman's capable of anything and of course he threw a batarang at him that's what Batman does but when Batman realizes something's not right that's what that's actually what he does he's the common sense of this trinity Wonder Woman is The maternal. And Superman is the heart. Superman is the resonating good of the, you know, the main trinity of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Batman is the nihilistic common sense. But Wonder Woman is that mediator between the two. She's a perfect balance of them. Because she is that warrior, but she also has the insight and the common sense from being a leader to realize when something's bad, when something's good, she can kind of balance the two. And I don't think I'm explaining that very eloquently, but forgive me. And Doomsday didn't benefit at all from the animated design.
okay, here's here's the deal. If Superman can just fry up multiple Doomsdays, how did Doomsday manage to kill him? Unless, if I remember, I don't think these Doomsdays were meant to be as powerful as the original since they are derivatives. And we get a line explaining that Superman didn't kill anything but Solus emoticons. Somehow, somehow it became night. Now, I just imagine somebody who didn't read the storyline coming to this. And we get a fake out, which we got actually in the storyline, which was omitted. We're going to call her Lila and not Harbinger. Ah, there's the twist. It was Lila that she that saw her own death. How messed up would that be? To kind of know how you die, not necessarily when, or... I, uh, I don't want to think about that. I like the unknown. And yet we see an excellently designed dark side who looks like he has Abraham Lincoln's beard. Now, with the line, I swear her death will be avenged, and the anger, that's when you pop in the glowing red eyes. Oh, look, is it a commercial break? No, it's not. I just love Ed Asner as Granny Goodness. And I believe this came out before Up. Let me take a look. Once again, I don't think that this is... Yes, it did, because Up came out in 2009. They did improve on Darkseid's size. And that's something that the animated series didn't quite nail. Because Darkseid did look imposing on the show. I just... That was one of the designs that didn't work for me. And translated really, really poorly into action figure form, I might add. But then again, Darkseid as a design is hard to really nail. He doesn't have... You know, the most creative of designs. He's gray, he's bald. He wears this blue singlet. Ah, just another day in the suburbs. Nothing to worry about but running over my son's skateboard. And gardening. Okay, you gotta dig a little bit deeper if you're planting a tree. That was... That's not gonna take root. Superman Forever. A gardening podcast. You darn paper boy. Hi. Nice. You didn't leave an invisible plane in the driveway. 
No, no, no. Stay in the towel. We see each other naked. We we made dirty movies together. And Batman's already in there, of course. Most of the time I don't like when Batman's sort of this omnipresent, everywhere character, but this time it really worked for the punchline. I like the dialogue kind of explaining a base idea of who Big Barda is. And the neighbors. You have a cousin? Say what? I like that the... The Freeze, because she's married to Scott Free, a.k.a. Mr. Miracle. I like that they do all their shopping at Ikea. That makes sense, because Scott Free could probably escape from anything, but those Ikea designs, he has a hard time putting together. I kind of want to see that. I don't know if anybody can draw that up, but... (laughs) I want to see Scott Free trying to put together an Ikea ottoman and getting really frustrated. Ah, this must be the sensuality. A silhouette of a nude-ish Big Barda. Awkward. Ah, you suited up. I don't understand why Batman would refuse Barda's help. And there's Mr. Miracle's costume, by the way, in the closet. (laughs) Sorry, but I don't think anybody but Kevin Conagroy could really have just nailed that line. The timing was exquisite. And it doesn't say if, if... the actors were once again in the same room so they could play off of each other. But there is an organic nature, so if they weren't, the actors really nailed this. And speaking of voice acting, this is another element to these where you do have these pseudo-celebrity voices, um, but they mix them. You know, you had Carrie Russell and Alfred Molina in Wonder Woman, and Carrie Russell, you know, has been on again, off again. She had her little career with Felicity, but... Here you have Andre Brower, who has a theatrical career, Ed Asner. And then you have Kevin Conroy, whose main claim to fame is being Batman. That's not a bad claim to fame. But the actors really could have phoned their voices in. Could have been like, yeah, yeah, we're on Apocalypse, oh my. But they do add nuance and emotion and parademons. Um... Is that Clyde? No, Clyde's a superpower-style parademon. At least when I met him, he was. Wow, we're on a tertia, kids. I think Skeletor's going to run us over. That was horrible. I apologize. I sincerely apologize. I can't even edit that out. (sighs) Superman giving the... Please. I'm the Man of Steel. Do you know who I am? And then he starts punching fire. I don't know if you've ever tried to punch fire. I would highly recommend against it. But it doesn't back off the way we see it here. You can't punch fire. Physics, kids. Physics. You know what the vehicles look like? These big tanks look like uh, the Thundercats' lair. 
Wish I could remember the name of that. There's actually a, a name. It doesn't look like the Thunder Tank, but it looks like you could... Castle Plundar? That doesn't sound right. Plundar was... Ah... Uh... Yeah, looks like the Thundercat Lair. Okay. Which was one of the most disappointing toys you'll ever find. Speaking of toys, as I mentioned, DC Direct did a line of Superman-Batman toys because, well, they sold like hotcakes. The bulk of the lines were done uh, based on Ed McGinnis, but there was... There was one wave based on Ethan Van Skyver, which didn't really wow me. Um, I'm trying to see. The second wave was based on Michael Turner's art in issues 7 to 13. And I'm trying to see who was included in that particular wave. Because I know it was Supergirl, Darkseid, Batman on... Okay, it was regular Supergirl, Darkseid, Batman on his hovering skiff. Superman and then a Supergirl in her bad girl outfit. So the Supergirl in her bad girl outfit worked. Darkseid worked. The Batman didn't translate well to three-dimensional. And nor really did Superman. It's not a bad figure. It, it just Michael Turner's art was bred for three-dimensional. Yet, you look at the Ed McGinnis figures and, man, they just pop. But that's just a difference in their style. Not a criticism of the toys. Just the difference in the style. And actually, while I'm thinking of it, yes. The Best Buy exclusive version of this DVD or Blu-ray actually did come with a Batman action figure. And I'm trying to see what the scale is. I believe it's another minifigure. That was something that was prevalent with these releases is that you know for all-star superman you had superman in his white suit for i'm trying to remember the one that i have i have a, one of the minifigures i thought that superman batman public enemies came with a small superman figure i may be incorrect on that this one had a small batman figure green lantern of course had green lantern wonder woman had wonder woman you see the theme here here comes the fight that I kind of mentioned offhandedly earlier, in which Wonder Woman Wonder Woman really nails it. And once again, I think Wonder Woman should have gotten third billing on this, or co-billing. And I think it really would have worked, too. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Trinity, if you're going to change the... Oh, we got a Warhound. You know, Batman on an Orion-style skiff shouldn't work at all it should be a turn off just based on my own personal aesthetics because characters like batman and and daredevil uh, as soon as they leave the confines of the urban usually lose interest for me but for, for some odd reason maybe it's the michael turner design i don't know batman on the skiff works So Big Barda actually has a nice role in this, but Wonder Woman gets gypped. 
as far as the credits. And Susan Eisenberg is so excellent. I wonder if... I'm sure if she... If they make a, a Wonder Woman movie eventually... I think they should do... This is the move, where she takes the rope and stomps it down. I'm like, whoa! That was just fluid animation. And the thing is, the fight scenes are, are fast, and they are up close, but you can still make out what's happening. That's something that actors like, uh, or directors like um, Christopher Nolan really don't do well, just to be honest. Most of Nolan's was too up close to see who's hitting who and what's happening. Dark Knight Rises had one good sequence with Bane, but with these animated, they're storyboarded, they're thought out, they have to be because of the way animation works. So they can get the perfect angle. You're not dealing with actors, you're dealing with drawings. So I think the action sequences really do benefit from being animated. Just the, the idea of it being so planned out to the T, to the shot for shot. And Batman threw a battering at it. If you like it, throw a battering at it. Of course, Batman's spine should be like powder right now, but that's cool. He's Batman. Another thing I just, I don't dig about some of the more recent portrayals of Batman in the last, uh, with this being 2013, nine, eight, nine years. That Batman's just capable of some of the things Superman is. It just doesn't work for me. Um, kind of the same idea with him being the the ubiquitous, I'm everywhere Batman. Because Batman, despite what we're about to see, in all honesty, should not be able to go up against Darkseid. Period. I wonder if James Earl Jones was in their price range to do Darkseid. Because Andre Broward does a decent job. Just not... Not as dark. Of course, he's not even on screen. We're still back to the Furies. The Fury fights are some of my favorite parts. And really, this is a very female-centric Superman-Batman. And yet the title was actually trying to play down the female involvement, which I find kind of amusing. Look at that. She's, you wouldn't catch this on Saturday morning. Wonder Woman getting stomped, and then, of course, the spear coming through the chest is probably a no-no on Saturday mornings. Except for the Smurfs. The Smurfs did that all the time. Just kidding. Almost. Actually, when you think about it, Tom and Jerry would have done something like that. Oh. And she said bitch. I don't know why that word stands up more than when they do say, like, damn or hell. Maybe maybe it's because 
the sensibility that I had as far as curse words in the comic realm came from when DC started using damn and hell. But the B word actually wouldn't pop up all that often. Odd. Let my people go. Oh, wow. I never caught the Moses resemblance. I don't know that it's meant to be an allegory, but it works. I'm in my bad girl outfit. That's right, Cal. I'm a bad, bad girl. See, I do my hair like this, and I'm, I'm, I'm evil Kara. And actually, after her appearance in, uh, in Superman and Batman, after her origin was established, Kara actually spun off into a new Supergirl ongoing, which was kind of a choppy book for a while. It had some really good moments, but Ian Churchill did some good things visually with her, but they did play with this dichotomy that she is really trying to figure out who she is, which is if you're placing her around 16, 17, kind of the quintessential journey for a character like this. Now, Kara did something here. This was, a, there was another omitted version. She used a thunderclap, a Hulk style thunderclap. And the fight between the two of them is actually slightly abbreviated. And actually, I remember reading this at the time, not having the, the hindsight that I do now, reading the original story, wondering, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be... Wouldn't necessarily be any, a bad thing to have this character become kind of a bad girl for a while. And then I saw what they did to Mary Marvel. I'm like, nope. Years later, Mary Marvel went to evil, <laughs> which was kind of kind of interesting, but not completely. And I realized I was way wrong on my, my thought process here. <laughs> so nothing like a countdown to really show you your the error of your thought processes. There are a lot of things that are good on paper and not so good on the page. But here's the deal. Here's where I would have popped this movie out of the, the projector, out of the DVD player, and chucked it across the room. If Wonder Woman had said, yep, I surrender, and the two of these women had been taken into custody, I'd been like, no, not buying it. Very much like Civil War when Captain America just gave up, and I threw Civil War across the room. But it's weird. Barda and Diana... Well, Barda more than Diana have solid character arcs in the background. This scene is fantastic where she's face-to-face -face with doing something that's against the hero type, something that she tried to walk away from, being a female fury. And maybe the Kara and Supergirl... I don't think this is abbreviated. Now, clearly, when you're adapting action sequences from a comic to animation, you have a lot more room to play with that. So it would have been odd to really abbreviate this, but. Now think about this. It doesn't. 
it doesn't explain in within the context of the movie. I'm sorry, I was kind of distracted by the color of the fire pit. It actually feels like it resonates heat. But uh, it doesn't say here that uh, Darkseid basically brainwashed Kara. He mind, uh, mind messed with her. With this version, it actually looks like she almost went to the dark side willingly. And I think that could flaw her up for what was about to come. However, we didn't know if this was a Kara, at least within the comic, that was going to stay, if this is a one-off, if this is even in continuity, thanks to the fact that we have we had a Supergirl already. So here we go. Batman versus Darkseid. I'm Darkseid. I'm Batman. I could do anything. In the comic, this one-on-one didn't happen. Superman and Kara were actually present. And... Batman's ribs and his internal organs should have just sprayed all over the wall. But he's Batman, right? He can take on anybody, even Darkseid. I'm sorry, it doesn't work for me. It didn't really work in Final Crisis, but however, that kind of sort of ended the way it should have. Final Crisis was a huge, huge stretch. This was where the story went off the rails for me, both in the original comic and in the animation. Batman shouldn't be going toe-to-toe with Darkseid. If Superman finds Darkseid to be a physical threat, Batman should be... Okay, right here. Batman should be pudding. He just got punched through a wall. A solid wall. Not like a broken board. Now, I get... Batman outsmarting Darkseid at his own game? I can buy that. But the physical abuse he just took... Uh, and, I, and I know and I agree that Bat, with Michael Bailey's assertion that Batman is a superhero and he should be impossible, but at the same time, I like not having to make a complete suspension of disbelief in Batman's physical conflicts. But that's just me. I just Batman going up against Darkseid, I don't buy, and it's my personal preference that I like Batman doing slightly more street level or his his style of rogues gallery rather than Superman's. Although, I guess that's kind of hypocritical because I don't necessarily mind it if Superman goes up against somebody from Batman's rogues gallery because the full admission is Superman's rogues gallery isn't it isn't as fleshed out as Batman's is or Spider-Man's. Superman's rogues gallery needs a lot of work, which I'm hoping the new 52 will begin to expand upon. We've already seen some new concepts from Grant Morrison, but I still want... I want a solid villain that can pop in for a one-off issue, give Superman a run for his money, and not have to be six-issue arc of exploring the intricacies. Just, I'm a bad guy, this is my plot, Superman must stop me, but... He's enough of a threat, or she is enough of a threat. They, we'll settle with that, is are enough of a threat to give Superman a challenge. 
Ah, here we go. Now we explain the brainwashing. The animated design for Superman looks better in profile from the side than any close-ups or, you know, straightforward. So from the side here, when you're looking at him in profile as he's talking to Kara, it does give a good jawline, a good chin, good nose, and then, of course, the spit curl is pronounced. And pointing at the screen like you can see. Awesome. I really... I like when an actor, a voice actor, takes their time and lets the scene play out as it would maybe in a in a live action. Because, I mean... Having, you know, doing podcasts, it's an all audio medium. You know, you feel like you need to fill in the, the, the gaps there, that silence is bad. But with animation, even though from an actor's viewpoint, it's audio for them. I like when a, an actor can trust that the visual part of it can carry a scene for, you know, five to six seconds to let the character emote and let that play in their voice. And... That's basically letting the scene play in the theater of the mind. So for the actor, they're still playing that theater of the mind. For the viewer, as I mentioned, it takes away something where we're kind of on the director and the producer's vision of how the story should play out. Where we can look at the same material in comic book form and make our own vision to some extent. We're always going to be controlled unless we're writing and drawing our own books. a weird thought I can't draw worth squat you know you might get a stick figure out of me I like that Kara and and Bruce do kind of make a little bit of peace (laughs) Daly and uh, Conroy really do play off of each other so ec- excellently. And, you know, Ted Daly is kind of in an, he's the odd man out in a sense because of those two working together on Justice League and developing that character flow between the two of them. And Smallville looks gorgeous. I love that the sign looks almost. A, Exactly like it would in Smallville. At least in the pilot, because it it updated after the meteor capital of the world. There are movies that I like to watch with unsuspecting crowds, unsuspecting folks. Like From Dusk Till Dawn, because you get about halfway through it and it turns into a vampire movie if you haven't seen that. I like to watch their reaction when that unexpected out-of-nowhere twist happens. Because up to that point, it's it's a caper. I liked watching this one with my wife the most because when you get to this scene that's coming up I mean we're in Smallville we have the chickens kerosene in the farm for the first time it feels like the movie is starting to come to its natural conclusion you know we're just a, a few lines of dialogue and a great shot from the credits because we're getting the 
the quieter moment. Oh, and then this happens. That's a line of dialogue that we don't get to. You don't get to stew in very much. But Kara doesn't have the life that Clark does. Clark grew up. He has a normal experience. She just came out of nowhere. And then, as you're trying to think about that, Dark Side shows up. And watching this with my wife when this came through, her reaction was awesome. <laughs> I gave no warning, and I was trying to be as subtle as I could. That something was about to happen, and it just totally did exactly what it should. And Omega Beams. Now, as to that critic on IMDb who said there's not much action, I give you this following sequence. (laughs) Because we've had great action sequences with the Furies and Wonder Woman... Superman and Kara, Superman and, you know, just pairing off. Now this one is personal. Now this was the other big deviation, that Wonder Woman and Batman were actually present for this final fight. And there was a fake-out that was actually removed from the movie, and it probably works well because it it was at the end of the penultimate issue of the storyline, but it looked like Darkseid had just disintegrated Supergirl. Which actually elicited a gasp from me. But that got the same the same effect as kind of him coming through the window or through the door here in the animation form. But omitted or not, they basically amped this up because you have Darkseid who is a heavy hitter, and Superman and Supergirl and unlike with the Batman scene, you didn't have to pull punches, which was one of my favorite scenes in Justice League Unlimited when Bat- when Superman finally says, you know, the world is like cardboard to me, but I don't have to hold back with you and just unloads. We have Darkseid. That's pretty mal- malicious because he was just, just a moment ago, not just stopping her head in, he was just like he was putting out a cigarette. Ah. Oh. And the hits are just intense. And it's odd and probably doesn't say a whole lot for Andre Brower that Darkseid is maybe more intimidating when he's not speaking in this rendition. Where Michael Ironsides had this cool snide quality. Oh, that's a great move. Sorry, it's going to knock me off my Michael Ironside comment, but picks him up. Comes up behind him, picks him up, and then blocks the Omega Beams, his own Omega Beams, with him. I'm sorry, but this is a great action sequence. This is intense. It's... As much as I mentioned, you know, action scenes being good in animation because they have to be storyboarded out and every nuance is placed, this feels like a brawl. It's not, obviously, but... They managed to make this feel not planned out. Just like if if, if it was a real live action, it'd be like, okay, you two fight. And they're improving the fight scene and just going intense. 
And Kara's absolutely holding her own. Notice Superman hasn't been around for about a minute now. Minute and a half. And I know with the Motion Picture Association of America, one of the big sticking points is violence against women. In, in, in odd ways, for example, Daredevil, the movie Daredevil, they had to cut down Elektra's death scene. And then they made them cut out Colin Farrell kissing her before running her through. Wow. This Omega Beam makes me... I, ugh, it just looks like it hurts. It's not like he's being... Anything but sadistic. I mean, he's digging a crater into the, the ground by shoving her body through it via Omega Beams. He's going to make sure not to kill her, but... Hi! Bam! And here is kind of where they played out the fake-out, um, where it appears that she's dead. <laughs> Darkseid has fought Superman when he was a little ticked. But when it looks like he kills his cousin, Superman is going to beat the crap out of you. Now, while Kara held her own, this is a straight-up beatdown for Darkseid. Hi, see this? We're just going to just flip this entire piece of Earth over on you. Boo! It's a dark side in a box. Forget your jack in the box. It's dark side in the box. And I like that they do... Oh, the super speed punches to the face. I mean, the animation on this... I thought Public Enemies had above-the-board animation. This is... We're still not at Disney or motion picture quality, but this felt like... Really, at this point, a, a step above what the DC animated movies had done. This was a huge progress. Look at the face contorting as Superman takes an Omega Beam to the face. Did Superman just do the superhero equivalent of get out of my yard? But you have his costume in tatters. She's in tatters. We're actually seeing blood. Half of his face is burned. It's little details like this that draw me into into a movie. It sells it. And despite this being animation, I mean, they could have taken the cheap way out. And not done, you know, the whole half of his face done in ashy color. Now, in the original comic, uh, Superman, thinking that Kara's been killed, flies Darkseid into space at super speed. 
and flies him into into the source wall. I get why we didn't see that here. The source wall is one of those fourth world things where it's really hard to explain <laughs> in 15 seconds or less. But uh, the looked like she had been disintegrated. She actually got teleported out at super speed. And as I mentioned, Wonder Woman and Batman were there. This is good that Superman and Kara actually have this showdown because it makes it much more personal. I actually prefer the ending to this. And we get to see Ma and Pa Kent for the first time, I believe. No, we saw Ma Kent in Superman Doomsday. Voiced by Susie Kurtz. And this is so perfectly deadpan. My cousin, your niece. (laughs) And then the house falls down. The comedic timing is exquisite. (laughs) Just played out perfectly. Such an excellent, excellent scene. Now, here's another deviation from the comic. Now, the final showdown, I approve of wholeheartedly. And this is another one I approve of. Because the final showdown, making it personal, improves the story. This, in turn, also improves the story. Because in the original, while we're on Paradise Island, we have the people who were involved in Kara's upbringing so far. We have Barda, we have Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, of course, and the uh, Amazonians. When she debuts here as Supergirl, which was Michael Turner's big redesign of the costume, which I think was great uh, when drawn correctly. You know, the midriff looks great. It's sporty. I like the yellow, and I like the sleeves. I like the yellow. But back to the point I was making, having it be these people who have been involved with Kara's life rather than all the people who were in the comic, which were, you know, basically the whole DCU, makes this a personal ending. And then you get Batman smiling his approval. And we have Supergirl. The origin is complete. Now, it can be looked at that we kind of had two climaxes because we had everything on on uh, Apocalypse, which could have skipped directly to this scene. I'm glad we got the farm scene. And I love these final shots of Kara and Kal-El flying. Not only do they look great, not only is the color great, we get this little playful moment where she flips the cape over. And we get, without being heavy-handed, we get the idea that Bat or Superman who has been alone um, in his own way this whole time with no one like him or truly like him finally has family. So that is, I really, really enjoy this movie. And I, I don't know. I don't know that I would place it at my top of, of the heap as far as the DC animated. Um, because I think, Under the Red Hood, unfortunately, kind of has that distinction. It was an excellent movie. Wonder Woman is really, really good. But this is definitely the better of the two Batman-Superman movies. Superman-Batman movies. And it felt like... It was... I I think it was like... I'll compare it to the Twilight movies, where the first one was essentially a low-budget movie made by an independent studio. So it wasn't... It wasn't the big event movie, or at least it wasn't set out to be. And then this thing became this worldwide phenomenon. So when you got to the second movie, 
the studios realized what they had um, and made this bigger, badder, budgeted movie, marketed it differently. And uh, the only reason I know about Twilight is because my wife is a Twihard and I support her on that. And I've talked, you know, I talked in previous episodes how I respect their fandom, which is an odd thing to say, but it's true. I respect anybody who can stand behind their material. And I stand behind this movie. This movie was excellent. Um, the voice cast was thought out because Summer Glau, as soon as I found out she had been cast, I just nodded my head in approval. I did expect more out of Andre Brower. Generally, Andre Brower is an actor that I really, really, really like. Um, he's been in shows like Homicide, Life on the Streets. He was in a great movie called Frequency. But he didn't quite... He didn't quite go all the way. Um, I think they could have modulated his voice a little bit to make it deeper. Or, at the time, I think Michael Clark Duncan would have been a good addition. And I know he did do voice work because he reprised the role of the Kingpin when they did the CG animated uh, Spider-Man cartoon from MTV. But, we got what we got. And really, as I mentioned, Darkseid is probably a little bit more intimidating when he's mostly silent or says very simple phrases. I like to see Darkseid standing there imposing and actually beating somebody down than talking about beating somebody down. But still, Michael Ironside is probably one of the best Darksides for my money. But we are coming to the end of the credits, which means we're about to wrap this up. Uh, I want to thank you for joining me on this, what is actually a stormy day. And uh, certainly looking forward to next week when we cover All-Star Superman. And uh, so until then, I am J. David Weeder, and I am saying keep on fighting the never-ending battle. This has been Superman Forever Radio, a NatWorld production. You can find the show on iTunes with backlogs of episodes, where you can also leave a review. The show finds its home at supermanforever.com, and is a very proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. You can friend the show on Facebook at, at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio, and email the show at mail at supermanforever.com. David can be found on Twitter at twitter.com slash superdaveweeder. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties belonging to DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters, the distinctive likenesses thereof, are all properties of Warner Brothers Entertainment and DC Entertainment. All music and sound clips used on the show are copyright their respective owners and no infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. <laughs>